Danielle Simone, and you're listening to Hey Kids Comics. Thank you very much. Uh, did you watch Frank Skinner the other day? No. The, his interview, he showed a clip from his interview with Latoya Jackson when Michael Jackson was accused. Yeah. Uh, accused, in case anyone is listening, <laughs> of the lawyer event of um, being inappropriate with children. And Frank, <laughs> That's an accusation now, is it? it, it that, he was accused of this and found not guilty. We're, 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 gonna, we're going to put that out there and you're not going to say anything. <laughs> that could be possibly sli- libelous. <laughs> but Frank Skinner said to Latoya Jackson, I hope he's innocent because it would be a shame if he was brought down like this. But if he's guilty, he deserves to burn. <laughs> he said that to her face. A face that looks like it's had lots of sculpture done to it. Anyway, that was a dag. This briefing is from file A56-7W. Classified top secret subject is... Aegis Comics. Comic books. Art form early alive. We can rebuild them. We have the technology. With digital downloads and bookstore penetration, which sounds a bit rude, we can make them better than they were before. Better, stronger, faster. We're back. Yes, it's been a week, and I know you you are so missing us. You're really upset and waiting for this Thursday to come. So we will bring you another exciting episode of Hey Kids Comics. Well, we brought the greatest present there is. Our presence into your ears. You can thank us later. Coming in your ears. <laughs> uh, happy Thanksgiving, American chums. Hello. It'll be two weeks removed from Thanksgiving yeah. by the time this actually goes up, won't it? Mm-hmm. Uh, peek behind the curtain. Today is November the 24th for us. But for you, it's two weeks in the future from where it is for us. Which would be December... The first. The first. No, <laughs> December the 8th. You've missed a week there. Yes, go back yeah. and say that. Yes, be gone. <laughs> be vanquished. You're like the Dobby <laughs> of our family, aren't you, Adam? <laughs> like the... Mm, I'm Harry Potter, sir! Give me a stock. Yes. Anyway, yes, as Michael so eloquently put it, despite the fact that he and his ego don't really fit in this room <laughs> together, welcome to the penultimate Hey Kids comics. I'm Andrew Leyland. Penultimate? Penultimate. Ever. No, no, the penultimate night oh, quest. right, we didn't episode. specify. Not ever. Right. We're not stopping doing this. Right. At least not for another couple of years while you go into sixth form, anyway. Fair enough. Of course, then you'll leave us and I'll have to do it all on my own. We could do it over Skype. We, we could do it over Skype. You, Adam, you don't read. <laughs> yeah. I know you can't, I'm only kidding. And I'm Michael Leyland. Well done. <laughs> I was wondering when you were going to get around to that. <laughs> yeah, the penultimate episode of Night's Quest. We're not stopping. I know that a lot of you are thinking, please, God, make it stop. But Night's Quest... You can stop listening. Night's Quest. It may be the masochists. Mm. Night's Quest is stopping. Although we will do Night's End. Yeah. And we will do Prodigal, I think. Will we? But that's for next year. And we'll do that Troika. I don't know about Troika. Okay. We may do. I've not decided yet. Quest the Crusade comes to its shattering conclusion in Detective Comics 675, which dropped on the 26th of April 1994 and had two covers. Much like that 
that made-for-TV movie, Molly Has Two Mothers. <laughs> this had two covers. Well, wasn't that the, a book to educate primary school children about? Was it? You, was it a book? Bill Hicks did a sketch on it. Was it a book? Oh, that's a TV the, movie. Uh, Daddy's new roommate and Heather's two mummies. Oh, Heather has two mummies. This is, this is atrocious. It. This is horrible. It's awful. Why is it horrible? Heather's two mummies, however. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Heather's two mummies is perfectly acceptable. Yeah. Especially if there's a shower scene. <laughs> anyway, uh, my cover is a lovely and expensive die-cut embossed thing by Kelly Jones and John Beatty. That's, to be honest, a bit crap. That's Kelly Jones. Yeah, presumably having to make sure that it could be embossed meant that Jones could only draw a rather simplistic image. And it's not one of the better cover enhancements, is it? It's mm, It looks shiny if you angle it in the light, though. Doesn't it? Mm. It does look quite good if you do that. The Knight's Quest lettering is gold and shines. And his armour shines. Anything that looks Kelly Jones is his legs. Yeah, but as a cover, it's, it's a bit crap. Are we going to make the usual, he's got tiny hands jokes, because this is the last time we'll have to make it. He's got tiny hands! Excellent. We'd miss it if we didn't do it, yeah. I think. We could just cover some Rob Liffield comics if you want to make tiny jokes. <laughs> tiny feet jokes. Mm. Anyway, uh, called Midnight Jewel, this was written by Chuck Dixon and drawn by Graham Nolan and Scott Hanna. Adrian Roy, John Costanza, Darren Vincenzo and Scott Peterson uh, did all the stuff that they usually do. Uh, Bob Kane created Batman, according to this comic. The Batman is in the cave trying out his deadly new arsenal, which includes semi and full automatic magazines replete with razor-thin blades that seem to be able to cut a man to shreds. With his all new armor, complete with silo glowing red light eyes, he feels he's ready. Batman has guns. This iteration, yes. God's sake, you're late to the person. Yes. Is this a Batman that kills? God's sake, you're so late to the person. Back home, go home. This is Jean Paul Valli, not Bruce Wayne. Have you been paying attention? Do you even listen to our show? Uh, doesn't count. Anyway, Gunhawk bursts into Midtown Gotham's General Hospital and demands they look after his girlfriend, Bunny, shot up during an altercation between himself and the Batman last issue. For some reason, he waited two days to get medical help for her, and his less than subtle way of getting her help, presumably the mercenary game doesn't carry good health insurance, attracts the attention of Gotham's finest and the Batman. Batman breaks into the hospital and engages the enemy on a floor that has been evacuated. What follows is an absolutely fantastic choreographed fight scene in which Gunhawk and Batman go at it like the sexually confused macho morons they are. Batman comes out on top, more by luck than design, and the issue ends with Jean-Paul prepared for the next stage of his evolution. Uh, That was quite a short synopsis, that, but really this is one long fight scene, isn't it? Yeah. And it's a very good one. It's an exceptionally good long fight scene. Oofs and kapow. Yes, and on lots of big panels. But it's well done. I liked it a lot. What did you think, Michael? Um, I thought the art was damp, didn't it? Uh, the art is exceptional. Um, Graham Nolan's really been putting it in the back of the net yeah. in this series. It's one of the, he's one of those artists that's not particularly flashy or dynamic, isn't he? Mm. But his work is just so good. Yeah. And it tells the story and it doesn't get in the way of telling the story. I've been quite impressed with it over this run on Detective Comics. 
Um, this in, uh, issue introduces the new Cylon Batman. Yeah, I, I, I said that in the synopsis. Page two, especially. Mm. He really is going. <laughs> During a getaway, he shoots rockets out of his back and flies and chases them down. <laughs> That'd be quite cool. Mm. Uh, page four. Yes. Um, this is an emergency. Yes. Right. Yes. Well, Gunhawk, maybe you shouldn't have. Uh, maybe you wouldn't need a doctor so bad if you didn't take four issues getting to a doctor. Well, yeah, he's only took one issue of Detective Comics, to mm. be fair. But it yeah. does state within the issue that it took him two days to do this, mm. and you're like. What, what, why? Why is it taking you two days to take to a hospital? He, he had a props up on a bed at home. Yeah. Going, Come on, Come on wake up. Okay. I mean, the only real reason is obviously they needed to fit two more books mm. in between this one. I do think maybe that the, the scheduling of this hasn't quite worked out in their favour in a lot of cases. Yeah. But I don't know. Page 12, panel 1. When Gunhog says, Mine's bigger, yeah. don't say that. Gene Paul will get jealous because you've got Bunny and Catwoman ran away from him. <laughs> Catwoman ran away from him because he's a freak. Mm. Is it also safe for Gene Paul to have a flamethrower next to his arm rockets? Um, is it safe? Will it not is detonate it in its hands? I, I don't know, to be honest with you. I don't, I don't really think Jean Paul's really put a lot of thought into the design of his. Um, is what, to, mm. to be honest with you. And on um, page twelve, um, 19, panel 2, mm. um, they don't... What makes them so Irish? Uh, he says, out of my wet pogues. Yeah. Well, what does Pogue Mahone mean? Don't know. Pogue Mahone means something. I can't remember what it was. I know, Irish. but that's where they got the name from. Right. I can't remember what it means. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Uh, page 2, on my lovely, lovely notes. Batman is now locked and loaded. Mm. What would Bruce Wayne say? He'd say, you young kids. Or he'd just say, swear to me. <laughs> uh, page four. Now, I have to confess here. When I first read this, I was a bit confused as to why Gunhawk undressed Bunny before yeah. taking her to the hospital. And then later, why he'd waited two full days before taking her. Now, as we've mentioned, the real reason, obviously, to give the other Bat stories time to take place. But it makes no sense, really. Unless we assume Gunhawk has had some kind of field training when it comes to gunshot wounds. Which, you know, I could buy that. He failed here then, apparently. Well, mm, uh, and he's been trying to fix for himself before realising that it's beyond his means, mm. possibly. However, this doesn't explain where they've been holed up for two days. Because if you recall... No, 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 if you recall, the cabin was a plane ride away from Gotham. Yeah. Because that's how Jean-Paul figured out where they were. The plane tickets... So, as far as we know, he doesn't have any bolt holes in Gotham. Yeah. So, what's he been doing with her for two days? In That's a sleazy hotel. But with a gunshot wound in her. This is where mostly uh, people with gunshot wounds go to. Yeah. I'm shot out of a sleazy hotel. Alright, I suppose I'll give you that. It's a minor plot, Niggle. I mean, it didn't ruin my enjoyment of the story. But, you know. Page five, Bat Train! Again, not really seen. Hmm. To be honest with you, I mean, it's it's quite a good view of it on the first, the top panel of page five, mm. but you don't see it anywhere else, and I'm I'm kind of bat a bit disappointed. Bat train's a character in its own right. Let's take the bat train to Clarksville, and we'll meet you at the station. If you were waiting for when he would sing, you've got it. <laughs> if you had roughly ten minutes in the pool, yeah. <laughs> then you've just won. <laughs> we should start placing bets. We should yeah. sell T-shirts to whoever guesses when. How long is it going to take you to sing? Lottery tickets. Uh, page six is a nice little comedy beat that's actually ruined 
in the execution. Kitts is all touchy-feely about appealing to Gunhawk and talking to him, and he answers with a hail of bullets. Um, this page would have been much better structured to have Bullock's funny line be delivered after the bullets trash Kitch's car. Because mm. you've got the what's it thing, though, where Kitch is, I'm trained for this, two years of psychology and an FBI course in hostage negotiation, and <laughs> and all the cars blow up. <laughs> and then Bullock says... His car's exploded when yeah, got out there. obviously. Uh, but they do, absolutely, to be honest with you. Uh, and then Bullock says, why don't you wave your diploma at him, Kitch? And you just get, shut up, Bullock. So that would have been much better if they'd swapped the panels. Do you not yeah. think? Or done the top two panels as one. Move that panel up, move that panel up, and then have an extra panel with that dialogue in. And that would have been a bit funnier. Because as it plays here, he says the dialogue before you look at the bullets. Yeah. So it, it doesn't really work in the execution. In my humble opinion, anyway. Page nine. Further evidence that Jean-Paul isn't as good as Bruce Wayne. If Bruce had wanted to get in the hospital unseen, no one would have seen him. That's bottom line. Here, <laughs> Jean-Paul is only spurred a sniper's bullet by the fact that the SWAT teams are fans. <laughs> which is true the SWAT team yeah. spot him and are going to shoot at him until one of the guys says oh, no let's, let's not let him go in here's my turkey sandwich yeah I'm going to have a butty instead uh, page 12 you mentioned this as well I warned you about this in the last issue mine's bigger yells Gunhawk mine's bigger <laughs> and he says it twice to <laughs> emphasise just how bigger it is um do I really have to say anything about the psychological underpinnings of that statement? No. Or should we just move on? Yeah. My! That's a big one. We're quoting Dirty Harry an awful lot over the past mm. couple of weeks, aren't we? Is that a Gatling gun in your pocket, or are you just happy to see me? I'm just happy to see you. <laughs> Page 13 is really, really cool. Jean-Paul fires a flamethrower blast at Gunhawk, causing him to shoot the floor below him and fall through it. When Gunhawk said his was bigger, evidently he didn't mean his IQ. <laughs> because he's quite a bit dumb there, isn't he? Yeah. And I do like that they cut off the swearing back when comics were all ages. Uh, as evidenced on page 16, Gunhawk grabs a hold of a dummy and uses it as a hostage. I do like it when bad guys aren't portrayed as being criminal geniuses or genii. Black um, for you. Yeah, he's just a bit stupid, isn't he, Gunhawk? Yeah. He's not terribly bright. This is followed up on page 17, where his big gun runs out of ammo. I bet it does. <laughs> so did Jean-Paul know he was out of ammo, or was this just dumb luck? Don't know. Maybe, maybe. He, he knew that he only fired five bullets. Or six. Or six. Well, being as this is a, what was it, a Hudson... Gun 27,000T, the most powerful handgun in the world, and can blow your head clean, clean off. you got to ask yourself one question. Do Is I Bunny going to be okay? Should uh, I go on Google? Yes, go on Google. Um, I'm going for dumb luck. <clears throat> so, sorry, i got something in my throat. Well, it's Jean Paul. He's not that tactical. Uh, I'm going for dumb luck, because page 20 has both combatants fall down a stairwell, knocking both of them out cold. <laughs> um... Only the fact that Batman comes to first, because of his armour, I presume, gives this a tick in the win column for Jean-Paul, and Gunhawk is arrested. Um, and he's got a little checklist. That yeah, he's got a little checklist of all the bad guys that he's taken <laughs> out, and how long it took him. Well, he does actually want the previous shadow issues. Yeah. Uh, again, I really enjoyed this. Chuck Dixon's at the peak of his powers here as a crafter of perfect 22-page action thrillers. Dixon gets what superhero comics should be, and more importantly, what they shouldn't be. And the last half of this book is a kick-ass fight scene. It's incredibly dumb, 
in many places, but that's what makes it work. The characters are stupid, quite honestly. Throughout the entire Knight's Quest, the Crusade story arc, we've seen Jean-Paul slowly turn his back on the way Bruce Wayne did stuff and become more and more reckless and dangerous. Nowhere is this more evident than here. Jean-Paul goes into this with no clue on how to bring Gunhawk down when he enters the hospital. Only the confidence that his is bigger and that will be enough to prevail. He makes frequent blunders and allows himself to get caught off guard as he continues to bullishly trust the system in lieu of his brains. He wins purely by luck. I don't mind a ruthless Batman. I object to a stupid one. (laughs) And compare and contrast this to... Is it these issues of Shadow of the Bat that are coming up, or is it Legends of the Dark Knight, where Bruce is knocking himself over the head for not having a plan and just going in and doing it and hoping that something will happen okay. that will give him the upper hand and he knows this is a bonehead play doing Indiana Jones have you read that? I don't know so it must be in the Legends of the Dark Knight issues then rather than Shadow of the Bat because you've read Shadow of the Bat for this show haven't you? yeah yes haven't you? yeah yeah I'm sure I've yeah. my notes and everything and, and everything yes all three lines so far of the four pages we've covered um, and that is the conclusion of Knight's Quest The Crusade but what I hear you ask. Has Bruce Wayne been doing? What has Bruce Wayne been doing? I'm glad that you asked that. Um, We've mentioned briefly the Justice League Task Force arc that he appeared in, in which his search for Chandra Kinsolving and Jack Drake led him to Santa Prisca and then to London. When Britain first had man's command This was the charter, the charter of the land, and guardian angels mentioned Justice League Task Force issues, three issues apiece of Shadow of the Bat and the ordinarily out of continuity Bat book Legends of the Dark Knight. This provided the spine of the story in both the novel and the audio adaptation, but did you like that? Both of which concentrated on Bruce Wayne rather than Jean-Paul. Shadow of the Bat 21 came out on October 5th 1993 as another gorgeous cover by Brian Strelfries of a well-to-do man in a turtleneck sweater being attacked by a red hood clad figure. He's wearing the St. George Cross on his chest by and large the symbol of England. The symbol has been used by other countries and generally regarded as a symbol of the Crusader. Here though it's definitely England because he's in London. How do we know this? Well, there's a big red bus and big men <laughs> in the bottom right hand corner. There's a lovely little touch on the cover that Michael's just spotted in the, the shadow Behind Bruce Wayne is the shadow of the Batman. He's going all Darth Vader. Yes, I thought that was that was quite good. Entitled Bruce Wayne Part One: The Hood, it was written by Alan Grant with art by Brett Blevins. Although I haven't asked Michael what he thought of that cover. It was all right. Excellent. Good. Well, I'm glad you're here to offer your opinion. It's not 
Bruce Wayne looks a bit like he's he's receding in the Herline department. Maybe he's still being played by um, Michael Keaton. He also looks like he's still stood upright. Well, he's leaning on his cane. He still wouldn't be able to walk. And that confrontation, as it is depicted, though, doesn't actually happen in the book. Well, yeah. Well, you're allowed a certain artistic license when you're covering the covers, aren't you? Robert Liffield's gotten this far with all of his. Yes. Yes. finding out some information about the man who abducted Chandra and Jack from Santa Prisca, Benedict Asp. The catch is the information is in the HQ of MI5. The Hood isn't sure this is Batman, and Batman pretty much calls him out, much to Alfred's chagrin. The Hood acquiesces and leaves, and it turns out Alfred was right to be perturbed. Bruce is strapped to a telegraph pole that is supporting his weight. He's in no condition to be walking, let alone fighting. As Alfred and Bruce return to the hotel, Benedict Asp is welcoming ex-KGB Colonel Vega to Monkley Hall, where he will be hosting this year's annual Hunt Ball. Vega is a little put out, feeling that this will interfere with their plans, but Asp feels cancelling will draw unwanted attention. They adjourn to the cellar where Chandra and Jack are being held. Chandra has a mutant healing power that when combined with Asps, who it turns out is her adopted brother, is quite formidable. Chandra initially refuses to assist in any way, but Vega's man pal Yuri beats on the crippled Jack Drake, forcing her to rethink her actions. Whilst the hood breaks into MI5, Bruce muses that maybe they kidnappers weren't after Jack Drake after all. Rather, he was merely a tag-along to the real target, Chandra kill-solving. Chandra's abilities were formidable, even as a child, and this is acknowledged in her file along with the mention of a partner, but the rest is classified top secret by order of MI5. Whilst the Hood is delivering the stolen file to Batman, Chandra is demonstrating the healing effects that she can generate over Yuri's sliced open arm, and how this can be amplified with Asp. True enough, the arm is almost completely healed, but in another part of the cellar, Vega is taking the amplified power for healing and using it to kill a lab rat. Perusing the data acquired by the Hood, Bruce learns of Asp's involvement with MI5, and he and Alfred invite themselves to the Hunt Ball.
Yes. How do we know we're in London? How do we know we're in London? Well, well. it's funny that you <laughs> should ask that. As this issue starts off with a great big splash page of that bridge in London. Tower Bridge, I believe, is, is the word that you're looking for. Yes, yeah. your, your knowledge of geography sucks, quite <laughs> frankly. That's why I don't do it at school. Mm. Um, page two. Yes. Long story short, kids, don't smoke. You get kicked out of the Batmobile. I don't get that. Well, you know when he's saying, well, cancer kills. Oh, yes. And, and Apart it, from the fact that cancer kills. Yeah, I liked the hood, but he's a bit pretentious, isn't he? As for the Batmobile joke, in the brightest day, the search, John Constantine lights up in the Batmobile and Batman just kicks him out. That's fair enough. Does he kick him out with an ejector seat? No, he just, like, oh. kicks him really hard so that he falls back with the door opening and lands <coughs> on his head on the pavement. The ejector seat would have been funnier. Wow. Hmm. Um, page four. Yes. Hood. Welcome to Batman Incorporated. What? What do you mean I have to wait another 15 years before I announce that? <laughs> 15 years real life. Yeah. Hmm. Um, page 16 to 17 is essentially um, Batman the Pimp. Yes, yeah, it does go through the many loves of the Batman. Catwoman is particularly pert hmm. in the, on that page, on page 16. Yes. Horns are standing right up. Yeah, well, <laughs> there is a reason for that. And uh, page 18 also depicts the Russian emo. Well, cutting himself just no so one, he feels something. No one understands him. Oh, I feel so sorry for him. Uh, this issue is adapted almost in its entirety in both the novel and the audio play. Is the Hood an established DC character? I don't know. This is the only time I've seen it. Yeah, I don't recall seeing him before or since. A lot like contemporary Azrael. He does a bit. I mean, get rid of his sanctimonious attitude and I think he could be quite an interesting character. Mm. Um, it's not established if he has any superpowers per se, but he manages to get down off Tower Bridge pretty damn quickly without hurting himself, doesn't he? Yeah. If you consider that on the splash page, he's right at the very top. And then if you look at the, page, the top panel of the first, both page two, Tower Bridge looks like it's a fur bit away from where the action is taking place. Flying abilities. Oh, well, I was thinking more gliding than flying, but it, it doesn't establish whether he has any powers or not. I presumed he was supposed to be like Batman and not actually have any superpowers. Yeah. Um, Alfred is right to be annoyed with Bruce on page seven because that is a remarkably stupid thing to do. It worked. Yeah, but it's still remarkably stupid. The Hood only makes one appearance in the audio play and he's not in the novel at all, really, to be honest with you. Um, although the story itself, as I mentioned, is is pretty much intact in the novel. Uh, page 14, I do like that Bruce continues to do his exercises. Yeah. Uh, continuing to hone his, his mind and his body as best as he can, despite the fact he's wearing a back brace. Wearing his back corset. Yes, wearing his back corset. It's not a corset, it's I back brace. I called it bat corset. Bat corset. And his back His back brace. His back crutch. Mm. Uh, and page his 16. Back back. His back. Yes, very good. Page 16 and 17 are quite interesting. We've discussed on the show before which of Bruce's relationships are still in continuity at this point in Batman history, because that changes on a regular basis. Um, we see here big hints that he's had a physical relationship with Catwoman, Talia and Vicky Vale. Possibly even Poison Ivy. Did you get that from that? Or was that just her using her drug on him? Yeah, maybe. Um, whilst he's still in the throes of young love with Chandra Kinsolving. Um, most surprising to me, there's no mention of Julie Madison or Silver St. Cloud. Yeah. Two quite big romances of the past. I presume Silver St. Cloud was still in continuity. Yeah. The Marshall Rogers, Steve Englehart, killing, not killing joke, sign of the 
Joker, Laughing Fish. Fish. That's the one. The one I've and Deadshot Ricochet. Yeah. Which I love a great deal. Uh, there's no mention either of Nocturne, but given that she was tied in with pre-Crisis Jason Todd, that probably went the day of the dodo after Crisis on Infinite Earths. Uh, page 22 shows us Alfred's resolve. With Bruce in too much pain to be the Batman... Alfred pretends to be the Dark Knight, but is easily rumbled by the hood. Alfred deals with it with consummate ease. Never doubt the British resolve. The actor. Yes. The, the thespian. actor. Thespian sounds like lesbian. <laughs> which, um, which always amuses or me. Or you forget about the th. Shut up. Page 24. <laughs> Alfred has a sense of humour. Alfred always has a sense of humour. Yeah, I think he's quite funny. Uh, uh, Bruce has a sense of humour, I meant to say. Break out the tux as cinders, we shall go to the ball. <laughs> that was quite funny. Bruce Wayne with a sense of humour is something that we... Uh, don't get a lot. We don't get a lot. Um, damn Frank Miller. Yeah. I like this issue. Again, I've missed Bruce Wayne, and Grant does a good job of showing us a side to him that we haven't seen for a while. Nightfall turned Bruce into a borderline psychotic... But here we see a much more relaxed Bruce, still driven. We see Bruce and not Batman. Yeah, still driven, still knowing his limits, but even cracking a joke. The main storyline isn't much cop in the, let's be honest, we've known what the outcome to this story is going to be for a long time. But it's a pretty sweet ride getting there, or I thought it was. Uh, the ads are all ones we've covered before. Except there's an excellent ad for the trade paperback of The Return of Superman with art by all the super artists of the era. Um, and a really cool ad for Spectre 13, which had a glow-in-the-dark cover, which I thought was quite good, by John, and by John Ostrander and Tom Mandrake. And there is an advert for the Legends of the Dark Knight Halloween special by Jeff Lord and Tim Sale. We've met him. Which, we've met Tim Sale, yes. Which um, I have... In trade paperback form. And those two of the four issues that we're covering tonight. Uh, very briefly, we're going to take a quick break to plug from Crisis to Crisis's upcoming coverage of the death and return of Superman. Yes, they finally got the. We should have tied it together, so we did. Well, we did Night's Quest where they were doing yeah. death and... Well, alright, maybe we'll tie <laughs> Night's End into all of the Superman books for up to the death of Clark Kent by then, weren't they? Mm. Oh, well, never mind. Maybe we should have done some kind of unofficial crossover. Yeah. Anyway, I'm really looking forward to this. This is Michael and Jeffrey plugging the death and return of Superman. In 1992, the greatest hero the world has ever known died defending his city from a force of nature. That force of nature had a name. Doomsday. From Crisis to Crisis, a Superman podcast is a weekly internet radio program presented by the Superman homepage in association with the Superman Podcast Network. Every week, hosts Michael Bailey and Jeffrey Taylor examine the comic book adventures of Superman from Man of Steel number one in 1986 to Adventures of Superman number 649 in 2006. Now they begin their coverage of the epic Death and Return of Superman trilogy with the first chapter of that story, Doomsday. 
From the first round to the ultimate sacrifice, Mike and Jeff will go through Doomsday in detail with the occasional special guest and a few surprises as well. Doomsday comes to From Crisis to Crisis, beginning December 2011, at both www.supermanpodcastnetwork.com and www.supermanhomepage.com. Hey, I'm Superman. I'm Doomsday. I'm dead. Oh no, Superman's dead. That's pretty much it. <laughs> uh, do you want to bring us back in or do you want me to do it? I'll do it. Go on then. And we're back in. Say it properly. And we're back. Excellent. I'm uh, approving you. Approving you? <laughs> Bruce Wayne's own approval. quest. Uh, approval accepted. Bruce Wayne's own quest for the search continued in Shadow of the Bat 22, a day in the death of an English village by the same motley crew that created the last issue, except Steve George, who came in as an Inca. It came out on the 19th of October 1993 and has another really quite excellent cover by Brian Stelfreeze. Of a monocle, the Bruce Wayne stood under a tree with a plethora of dead bodies around his feet. He looks amazingly like John Steed on that cover. Yes. The Avengers. John Steed. Oh, right. Emma Peel. Okay. Yeah, what's the Avengers? I saw some. Alfred, in the guises of Sir Hemingford Grey and Charles, run across a fox hunt with a few well-to-dos. It is interrupted by some protesters and one of the upper-class twits of the year is about to beat him when Sir Hemingford interferes. Even incapacitated with and walking with sticks, Sir Hemingford takes down the fox hunters quite easily. The saboteurs are given their say and Sir Hemingford recognises him by his body language as the Hood. Hoping that the Hood, real name George Cross... <laughs> didn't recognise Alfred, they continue on their way to Monkley Hall. The object of Bruce's attention, Chandra Khan Solving and Jack Drake, are already at Monkley, albeit against their will. Benedict Asp tells Chandra that with Vega's help they hope to be able to store he and Chandra's mutant healing abilities and reuse it at a later date, making disease obsolete. Chandra points out that his altruism doesn't seem to be extending as far as his guests, as neither her nor Drake are willing participants in this endeavour. Asp says that if she stops, Drake will die. If she continues, he can be the first beneficiary of the treatment. 
gasp is called away to a guest, leaving Chandra to ponder her fate. The guest is Sir Hemingford Grey, who blags his way in under the pretense he used to own the place. He also manages to blag himself an invite to tonight's hunt ball after surreptitiously planting a few listening devices. Back downstairs, Colonel Vega has perfected a silly-looking hat that will nevertheless take Chandra's latent energies and enables the word to kill from a distance with only the power of his brain. Bruce leaves the car to walk the grounds of Monkby Hall, mainly because his transceiver isn't working over this distance, when he sees a secret service helicopter land and eavesdrops on the conversation which confirms Chandra's involvement and that Aspie's been paid a large sum of money to develop his device. The agent says he wants a demonstration tonight, especially as Asp's file was mysteriously stolen from MI5 last night, also watching The Hood. At the ball, Chandra is forced to give a final demonstration that, when amplified by Asp and his silly hat, kills the children outside playing cricket as well as the entire population of nearby Monkley Village. He takes Chandra out afterwards for some fresh air where she bumps into Sir Hemingford, who is devastated when she doesn't recognise him, and worse, when he realises that she's helping Asp voluntarily. (gasps) So, how do we know we're in England? How do we know we're in England? Foxhunters calling Tally Bloody Ho. <laughs> well, yeah, see, I'll cut this some slack because it was written by Alan Grant, who's Scottish. Mm. So maybe he just has a thing about fox hunters. There was um, a scene in Superman 2, the script for Superman 2, that was never filmed of Superman stopping fox hunters. Okay. Uh, page 9, panel 1. Yeah. Good never comes out of evil. Well, tell that to Alan, let's bomb Manhattan more. What good came out of that? You've read um, Watchmen. I have, what good came out of it? I don't know, that's why he's like, I did it for the greater good! Who did it for the greater good? Ozymandias. He blew up half of Manhattan. Is that Dr. Manhattan? No, Ozymandias, the crazy uh, Greek guy. King of Kings. Look upon my work, you may see in despair. Shall we move on? Yes! (laughs) (laughs) Um, Page 10. Yes. Bruce really does need to learn some English. Mm. Sprog. Sprog! Sprog used to be quite a popular term for children. And given that this book is, what, 16 years old at this point? Older than that, probably, 1993. Nearly 20 years old. Yeah. Nearly. Um, I'll cut them some slack for Sprog. Mumsy is unforgivable. Yeah. I'll give you that one. (laughs) You should invite Bruce to some chat. Oh, dear Bruce, I will teach you how to speak proper English (laughs) for the next time that you are imitating an English person. Yeah. Yes. Um... Also on page 21 to panel 2. Yeah. Oh god, there were skulls. So many skulls. It's Blackest Night all over again. Blackest Night before they did Blackest Night. Where's all the skulls? Oh yeah, on the there last... on the... Yeah, all over the page. All the it? skulls, it's rather hard to miss. Yeah, okay, fair enough. Um, page 24. <clears throat> Chandra, it's me. Can't you see who I am under this big uh, wig and fake beard and monocle? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, he does wonder why he doesn't recognise her. And you're left looking at him going, well, gee, I wonder why. Um, yeah, fair enough. Yeah. Alfred makes some pithy comments on page one and two about the government and its standing that are actually quite pertinent and accurate. Mm. I quite like them. We're not a political podcast, but I especially liked his comments about the House of Lords on page one. Well, we're not a political co- um, podcast once you cut me out of it. That's true. That's very, very true. He says about the House of Lords, the House instead of the House of Representatives, we have the House of Lords, unelected, a bastion of privileged aristocrats whose, ex- whose eccentricities often qualify them more for the asylum than running a country. Mm. Which is still, by and large, quite accurate, isn't it? Yeah. I didn't vote for him. I don't like him. Screw him. <laughs> Screw them all. 
bring down the government they don't speak for me to quote Tom York Bruce's line on page 5 let's have a nice cup of tea and talk things over it's quite well observed there is no obstacle so insurmountable in the United Kingdom that it can't be solved by putting the kettle on Nope. There isn't, is there? Oh, God, I've got cancer. Fancy you fancy a cup of tea? <laughs> oh, everyone's just been murdered. <laughs> cup of tea? Oh, bombs in London. Nice cup of tea. <laughs> uh, I did like on page seven that Bruce recognises the hood by his body language and movement. Uh, this is something I don't think gets mentioned a lot, but Bruce changes his posture and his body language when he's Batman, much like Christopher Reeve did when he was playing Clark Kent. And especially at the moment when he's all hunched over because he's walking on two walking sticks. Page 14. Bruce catching the cricket ball without looking and throwing it back is pretty cool. Mm. Or I thought it was. You may have a, a different opinion of that. So he's not even watching. And he just catches it. I thought it was great. We did that in Sandman. We did. But he's, he, he repeats that gag in an upcoming issue yeah. where he's having a fight with somebody with a knife. I can't remember if it's the next issue of Shadow of the Battle or an upcoming issue of Legends. It's an issue of Legends of the Dark Knight that we've not covered yet, which is quite good. Uh, the conversation on page 16 between Alfred and Tim is the exact same conversation the two of them had in issue 2 of Robin. Right. Which is nice continuity. So we're a little bit out. Yeah, I well, a little bit. in terms of when the story's taking place. Yeah, but we decided to cover it separately. Yeah, we decided to cover it separately. Because... We, 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 ha- we can do that on our podcast. Yeah, we can do what we want. Uh, every time I wrote The Hood when I was doing my notes, I just kept humming the Thunderbirds theme. The Hood was the bad guy in Thunderbirds. Right. You never watched Thunderbirds either. I didn't, I didn't like the puppets. Uh, what's wrong with the puppets? They creeped me out. <sighs> I, I could watch uh, Stingray. Stingray? What, well, Captain Scarlet was brilliant. Well... Dun, 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 dun. This with, is the voice of the Mr. Wrong. With, with um, Stingray, it was on um, Fox, was it? Fox or something? I can't remember. It was on Stingray. Stingray! Well, it was on about six Stingray. in the morning. So, so I'd be falling asleep before school watching it. So I like Stingray. I like Captain Scarlet. I like Jerry Anderson's UFO. I love Space 1999 just because of the special effects. The show's pretty boring. Yeah. They're always very mystical in their endings. There is a bigger force than us out there, Commander Koenig. It's like, oh, shut up. Show me some, show me some spaceships blowing up. <laughs> um, we've already mentioned why is Bruce surprised that Chandra doesn't recognise him. He's in a disguise! The master of disguise, defeated by himself. Yes. <laughs> who knew? Uh, who knew? As with most middle chapters of ongoing storylines, the issue ups the drama and the tension. It gives us a pretty decent cliffhanger, to be honest with you, with uh, the entire population of Munkley dying. Um, Bruce's relationship with Chandra came out of nowhere in Nightfall, and therefore it's not really a surprise that the payoff is a bit lacklustre here. I, I never bought Bruce to suddenly head over Leo's in love with this woman from Please, the beginning, did you? Woman, I love her. Yeah. Oh, the woman I love. What? Where? When? Yeah, I, I never bought that. They never really did a good job of selling that to me. Mm. It's obvious to us all, really, that she's only here to be the MacGuffin that gets Bruce back in the bat suit. That being said, I do enjoy seeing Bruce out of his element and relying on his wits to save the day. And once again, his relationship with Alfred is worth savouring. Uh, there's some pretty good adverts because there's no letters page. There's a couple of extra pages of adverts, both of which are for Batman Adventures and Batman Mask of the Phantasm. The Mask of the Phantasm is an adaptation of 
the movie, obviously. And the Batman Animated Adventures Volume 1 collects the first six issues of the comic. But they're both fantastic pieces about that. The Batman Volume 1 cover looked painted yeah. by Ty Templeton. And Mike Parabek did the Mask of the Phantasm 1. Mike Parabek was brilliant. We may do some issues of Batman Adventures. Although we kind of really want to lay off Batman for a bit, don't yeah. we? Uh, in addition, there's adverts for hardware, which I enjoyed. Static, which I also enjoyed, because this was the first milestone crossover. And then, mostly, it's, there's no Shadow Cabinet. There's no adverts for Hot Comics this month, which is always a shame, because mm. they're often my favourite parts yeah. of the adverts. Um, part three... Uh, and the final part of this story arc was called Curse of the Bat and was presented by the same creative types who did the chores on the last two issues and given to the world in Shadow of the Bat 23 which came out on the 23rd of November 1993 which is almost 18 years to the day from us recording this mm. isn't it? 18 years I've had this comic this comic's older than you a lot of your comics are. A lot of my comics. I've got socks older than you. <laughs> um, the cover of Bruce in Sir Hemingford Grey Disguise is again excellently painted by Brian Stelfies and has him beating people up with his cane, which is always worth a laugh. He's badass. Yes, he is. Do you like that cover? It's alright. It's okay. It's okay. Mix it up a little bit. It, it looks dynamic, but... Do you not like it? I think it looks a bit too dark. Right, I like these covers up in the ground. Picking up immediately where we left off, after accosting Chandra, Sir Hemingford Grey is escorted off the grounds of Monkley Hall by the same men he beat up for shooting foxes. Bruce, in Hemingford guise, decides he may be a little miffed to learn of Chandra's involvement, but that doesn't mean he's going to take a beating from two class-conscious creeps. Using his own innate skills and the special walking sticks Harold designed for him, he makes short work of the toffs and turns back to the hall. Over the village of Monkley, the Hood discovers Colonel Vega and Yuri picking up a few corpses for dissection, and Yuri and Vega get the better of it. He fires off a Hood floor, which I thought was really cool, which Bruce sees just as he spots the secret entrance to the cellar that Asp and Chandra have just headed down. As Asp and Chandra decide to cut their losses and bail out, Bruce can't leave the Hood to his death and turns to help him, and with a few well-placed concussion darts does just that. Convincing the MI5 agents that they need to round up Yuri and Vega because they have been made, Asp steals the chopper keys and grabs the money before pulling out Jack Drake's breathing apparatus and clubbing Chandra with the case knocking her out. The Hood intercepts the MI5 agents while Bruce finds Jack fortunately still alive and he calls an ambulance and the police. Asp and Chandra get away in the chopper and Bruce is informed by the Hood of the death of everybody in the village. Bruce is devastated when he thinks that this includes Alfred, but it turns out Alfred was on his way to Monkley Hall to inform Bruce of his conversation with Tim regarding Jean-Paul, but decides that this probably isn't the best time to tell him. The Hood leaves telling Alfred it was an honour to work with the Batman, whilst Bruce vows to bring down Asp and Jean-Paul.
Bruce says that he, he's so upset that Chandra went with Asp of her own free will. <coughs> yeah. Could he not tell that she was huddled up and crying and looked <coughs> bruised like a domestic abuse victim? Um, well, I don't know really, because it is a valid point that Bruce would spot that something was wrong, and Asp has been beating her yeah. quite severely, and when you consider that she's only wearing a vest and a skirt, and he's been clubbing her about the face, you would think that would be visible bruises in various different places. But no, Bruce doesn't doesn't pick up on that well, for some reason. He, he may not be that clever enough in this, but he sure kicks enough ass for some uh, a guy with a broken he does. Back. He doesn't seem to be having any problem beating people up, does he? I mean, no. they, they try to point out that he's in great pain while he does it, but he's still doing it. Mm. Um, I thought the hood was quite dull in this as well. See, it's, it's, he's especially dull when this is a great, perfect opportunity for Knight and Squire. Did Knight and Squire exist at this point, though? There was the old Knight and Squire, and then the new Knight and Squire popped up in someone's run on JLA. Oh, yeah, originally created in the 1950s. Yeah, because it was a guy and his son, but then his son is now Knight instead of Squire. Right. So there is a, every possibility that they could have had Knight and Squire in this if they've been around since the 50s. Yeah. Alright, okay, fair Well, enough. I don't know, because the old Knight and Squire is Knight, and his son is yeah, well, there Squire. Yeah, there was a 50 story called The Batman of England. Yeah, I've read that. Have we? I have. Where is it? Have we got that? It's on the pewter. Oh, Scott right. gave it us. Did he? Mm. Oh, what am I reading there? It's part of Grant Morrison's Batman room. Because <laughs> it's in the Black Case book. But anyway, there's the old Knight and Squire in the 50s, who's this guy who happens to be the lord of this country in England. Percy Sheldrake and his son Cyril. Yes, now, Cyril. Cyril. Cheryl. <laughs> Cyril first appeared in the Batman of England in 1951's Batman issue yes. 62. Cyril, who used to be Squire, is now Knight. Right. Mm. So what happened to the original Knight? He died of old age, I presume. Did he? Mm. I mean, he got to live to, to die of old age. Mm. And uh, there's a brilliant, there's a panel in this 1950s story. I say, Robin, isn't it time one stop for a spot of tea? <laughs> yeah. In the middle of crime fighting, a UK there's, person there's no will stop that for a cup of tea. I've yeah, but there's, there's no, there's no worth to stop for a cup of tea either. On the bridge. But, but he's, he, like Batman's utility belt, he carries a cup of tea around with him. I've read that issue, and it's... The, the, the rippers, the Americans rippers, British folk. There's the fox, tally-ho! <laughs> yeah! <laughs> this 1950s story is pretty damn good. It is, but... They're hunting criminals, not foxes. A fox hunt on motorcycles? It's not quite cricket. Oh, I've got to read this story. It is. This looks epic! <laughs> and by epic, I mean, you know cliche drivel the Batman of all nations that, followed that's, it up that's quite good in as Detective well. so have, you got the, have we got this as well yes right I really want to read the Batman and Robin of the United Kingdom the Batman of England I'm, I'm down with reading that so yes to go back to what you were originally saying there's no reason I suppose that they couldn't have used an updated knight and squire mm. for this that, that probably would have been a bit cool actually in many respects. Um, the only notes I have about this one are the pretty cool character beats. Bruce's reaction to Alfred's supposed death is really well handled, yeah. as is his final internal battle, where he buries his feelings and vows to bring Aspen Chandra to justice. Graveyard vows are always cool. <laughs> you know what I mean? With a bit of lightning in the background. Well, that's, that's the only thing he's missing. It does have bats, though. Mm. 
Because he, he certainly brings up the curse of the bat in this issue. Yes, quite a lot. Yeah. He, he hammers that He says it more than Hal Jordan says he was parallaxed. No, well, let's not go that far. Uh, the second is when the Hood tells Alfred that he won't tell anyone that Batman is really an Englishman abroad. <laughs> Foreshadowing Christian Bale's playing of Batman. Okay, then. In many ways. Well, I thought so. Uh, I really enjoyed this. It suffered from over-familiarity a bit. Being as in preparation for the shows, I've listened to the audio play and read the novel, and this is well represented in both. But it's not footage of the comic on those points, especially as the comic does manage to provide some background details that the other two adaptations don't. Uh, the Hood has one scene in the audio play and isn't involved in the monthly hall sequences at all and doesn't even appear in the novel. In the comic... This does give somebody a chance to do the fighting that Bruce would normally be capable of. I think I'd like to see the Hood again. DC doesn't have too many British characters. And I think the Hood would be good if handled well. Go on, you were jumping. Are you counting how many British characters? And. 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 Alfred. Alfred. (laughs) And. Anyone else? I'm I'm a bit out. See, I'm I th- I'm confused because I think that may be the first appearance of um, the new Knight and Squire was what, in the in JLA classified. Well, no, they briefly appeared in an issue of JLA before that, but that's when they main mainly start. Right, and they they come back a bit in Rip in Batman. Rip. Have they been killed? No, no, no. Seeing as they look like fun characters, and Dan DiDio seems to be on a quest to they kill came, all the they fun came characters. back in Batman Rip. And Batman Rip. And then they were in Batman and Robin for a bit. Oh, right. Okay. And I, I I don't know where they... Oh, Paul Cornell gave them a series. But that got cancelled after six issues, or was it only ever meant to be six issues? I don't know, but they're not in the reboot, I, I don't, don't think. Okay. Oh, all told, this was another good story by Alan Grant with a few neat asides about England's still ongoing class wars, and a resolution of sorts to one of the weaker Nightfall story threads of Chandra and Bruce's burgeoning romance, and the rescue of Drac... Drac? Drac. The Drac Pack. The rescue of Jack Drake. Uh, There's some good ads this time round that I don't think we've mentioned before. Wayne's World 2 was out, um, which I don't think I've ever seen, because I happen to think Mike Myers is one of the world's most overrated performers. Do you know, I don't recall if I've ever seen Wayne's World 2. Oh, right, not the Superman fan. Who do you think's the Superman fan? Mike Myers. Mike Myers? Yeah. Mike Myers is the Wayne from Wayne's World. Okay. And Austin Powers. Right. Who are you thinking is the Superman fan? The, the guy got his... Oh, Barry Mayers. Oh, no, Barry Mayers. That's the different Mayers. Right. Yeah. And not the guy wearing the um, Captain Kirk mask. No, that's Michael Myers <laughs> from the Halloween movies. I'm glad that you know your Myerses. Uh, I'm, I'm quite happy I know my Millers, but not my Mayers. Not your Mayers, yes. Uh, again, some good adverts for the Milestone stuff as well, and... Mask of the Phantasms representative. The ad for Showcase 94, I think I've already mentioned. It's an excellent piece of Joe Quesada out of that. I don't think I mentioned that it was Joe Quesada. Whoa, a good piece of Yeah, it features all the rogues from Gotham plus Robin Huntress, Batman, John Paul Division. Uh, it really is good, that. Do you not think? Mm. The Jokers were in a Batman tie, which really did appeal to my sense of whimsy. Uh, Kevin Nolan inked it, and I really do like that. It's not going to make me pick up Showcase 94, <laughs> to be brutally honest with you, but um, it's a good piece of art. Nevertheless, uh, I did like Bruce's um, cane. 
being full of I'm gas. Sure and, so, uh, that's it, enough, before it gets any worse. Uh, no Robin this week, as it ties in with the main storyline again next time, when we wrap up the whole kitten caboodle just in time for Christmas. Yes, next week, Night's Quest to the Search and the Crusade come to the senses-shattering conclusion with Legends of the Dark Knight 59, 60 and 61, and Robin 7, plus our look at the series as a whole. Best mm. bits, worst bits, bits in between. Looking forward to that. Uppy uh, bits and downy bits. Uppy bits and downy and bits, bits, yes. All around. And bits all around. The we hope. bits and the green bits and, and the red bits and the yellow bits. Yeah, have you quite finished with your bits? <laughs> uh, very good. Uh, we hope you'll join us next time. Bye bye. Goodbye. expressed by Michael and Andrew in the show are the opinions of Michael and Andrew and probably not to be taken too seriously. All music and sound clips used in the show are copyright the respective copyright holders and no infringement is intended. Michael and Andrew make no money for this, much to the chagrin. New episodes drop every Thursday at apleyland.podomatic.com but you can also listen through our Facebook page which you can friend us on by using Hey Kids as the first name and Comics as the second name. You can also listen on our website where you can also view the covers of the comics we've covered this week. That's www.heykidscomics.webspace.virginmedia.com If you have an opinion on our opinions, you can email us on heykidscomics at virginmedia.com we also have a forum, www.forumforgeeksalloneword.com, where you can drop by and say hello if you're allergic to email. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Hey Kids Comics. The end credit music this week was by Chris Holland, and uh, all of his music can be found on www.chrishollandmusic.net, and we thank him for allowing us to use his tracks.